0: who makes you uncomfortable. Every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us. And then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hey guys, welcome back to the End Sons Podcast. I'm Sam. And I am Blaine. And for those of you who uh, somehow, what, like listen to every other episode, I think that probably does happen actually. For those of you that don't know, and Sons, this podcast is kind of coming in for its home lap as it currently is. We don't know if there will be a a different iteration of the and Sons podcast in the future, but we don't want to totally close off that door. But uh, yeah, we're closing in on the end of 2021 and the podcast will be coming in for a landing. We're going to respond to some of your questions and riff on a few
1: topics that provide a satisfying Return of the King-esque conclusion to
0: this show. One of the things we did in a uh, a recent live stream with the folks over on Patreon was we asked for topics that like, when when there's not another and Sons podcast with Sam and Blaine, what will you wish we had talked about? What would you wish existed? And, and yeah, we're in the what, mid 200s of episodes now. So there's there's quite a few topics we've hit and we could always do more. (sighs) But we really are going to chase one of them specifically. Question that we're going to touch on here that we're actually going to have this whole episode really be about comes from Michael. I know it's a big topic, but I was wondering if you and Blaine would jump into a discussion about God's will. I don't mean to say his specific will for my life. I know that can only be fleshed out by me. I also know it's loaded with religious nonsense. We seem to keep having this conversation with friends lately. What is God's will? This is
1: where my inability to ask people questions can make my friends feel very bored because— maybe You're a bad question asker? Uh, well, when someone asks a question like that, yeah, where I think that there's a lot to be said— and it's all interesting and everyone should care about all of it. Yeah, that's how we all tend to feel about things we care about. Yeah, that's how I just start going, oh, Michael, I'm glad you asked about the will of God. Without am like, okay, wait,
0: slow down. Do you find yourself monologuing at people a lot outside of the podcast studio? I monologue to myself. Yes. That's called talking to yourself. That's, and, yeah, and it makes people concerned when the inside voice comes outside. <laughs>
1: now, The other day, I didn't know that the baby monitor was on, and I was upstairs putting clothes away. And I came down and M said, well, it sounds like you've really
0: refuted those heretics, Blade.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was talking to myself, too, at the park the other day. And, and Susie goes, you hate what? And I'm like, uh, nothing. Oh, so something about us? Nope. I hate this whole situation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know (laughs) that this is happening. What happened?
0: Oh, yeah. So when I saw that question, I was more gun shy than you, let's say, because I'm like, oh, really? We're going to do God's will? And how do you, can we just like roll some of the bad clips from Kingdom of Heaven where all of the super dramatized, manipulative, religious,
1: People are just I've seen the chanting. lunacy of fanatics of every denomination be called the will
0: of God. God wills it yeah, is it's like a good their, line. They're battle cry. They keep doing it. And you're like, um. <laughs> That's why I'm a little bit gun shy, right? Because there, there's just, it's a weighty claim when you say that this definitively is the will of God. And I think that we would like to tease that out and give that like seal of approval on lots of different things in our life. But what makes you get excited about it when you get that little glint in your eyes, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. We had to like simplify and like clearly define what the will of God is. And then we can sort of like test things against it when it comes to our personal lives. Cause you're like, no, I'm not going to try and answer that for my goal. Right. I'm barely able to discern it for myself. Right. Most people who have asked this question and
1: this is... Everybody. Yeah. There, there's an old correspondence between these two Central Asian philosophers. I think it's Avicenna and Avaraz, who debated these questions long before they entered sort of the Western consciousness. So when mm. people who have an experience of God try to reconcile their experience of God with the experience of the world, this is kind of one of the first questions they run into. And everything is lumped in here. The problem of pain is lumped in here. Mm -hmm. The problem of why have free creatures at all. And I think that it's important for people to know what God wants in an intimate way, not in an abstract way, Mm -hmm. to be familiar with God's good heart for them. And his power to intervene for them to understand—he's not passive. Mm-hmm. The reason that a popular intellectual movement right now called object-oriented ontology—it can't be that popular. Only six people know what that is. <laughs> six of our listeners, a bit more people. <laughs> people shipwreck themselves on this question for a very simple reason, and it's that you don't know how it works from God's point of view because God is a being of a higher and ultimate order of existence. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about this in terms of a river and he goes, a river cannot flow above its source. Similarly, you can't get behind God to see how will works from his point of view. That really frustrates people because they want there to be ultimate principles to which God is subordinate. There are none. God is not motivated by anything more fundamental than his own nature. And that really, really frustrates people. Mm. And they have done crazy, crazy I mean it, insanity. They've done insane and ridiculous things to try to get around that. And can you build the ladder that gets you higher than God's experience of the cosmos so that you can look down on it and have a security that's distinct from God?
0: It's like a philosophical ladder. Yeah. Not like an an actual...
1: An idea ladder, not a ziggurat ladder. Yeah. So what object-oriented ontology does is... There's a philosopher who's been sort of repopularized, Niguel. Niguel has an essay called, What's It Like to Be a Bat?
0: And Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay, what is it like to be a bat?
1: We don't know. Because.
0: Is that the whole essay?
1: It is a brilliant essay. Because. Of its observations on consciousness, consciousness mm-hmm. is linked to embodiment and networks of relationship, and he has a lot to say. But what he gets to is he goes, when you imagine being a bat, what you imagine is having a human consciousness, yes, inside a little bat body, right? And that's not how it would work, no, because a bat has perceptive organs that are different from human organs, and they have uh, a form of embodiment,
0: also, which is why. Whenever you watch anything like Planet Earth, we've sort of landed on the category of instincts because it's too much for a human being to try and get inside the psyche of what it's like to be an animal other than to say like, oh, you know, the baby gazelle is born and instinctively knows how to run and instinctively knows its mother. And and we just like sort of throw this. It's instincts. It's not really a mind. Yeah. And
1: there's two things that people normally
0: talk about
1: are like the mantis shrimp, which can see a portion of the electromagnetic spectrum that's so infinitely larger than the human one, mm-hmm. they live in a different world. Yeah. Where, you know, falcons can have a visual experience of the different densities and temperatures of the air.
0: Right. And so... It's like the little piece, and now I know it's shifting me from animals, but the book, The Secret Life of Trees. Yes. Where they were... Peter Bella. I remember a specific part in that where groves of trees would keep a stump alive there was an older tree that had died and fallen over and they would actually be feeding the stump nutrients from their own root system and seemed to have their own way of caring and grieving about other trees. And you're like, okay, hang on. This whole thing is blowing my mind. Okay. Can I really blow your mind with another one? Is it from the secret life of trees or something else? It's about animals. Back to the mantis shrimp? No, this is about
1: animal navigation and how do they do it. And sure. The odd things people have done to disorient lobsters.
0: Put them in a pot full of boiling water?
1: <laughs> that they would probably find very disorienting in a fundamental sense. No, they noticed that lobsters, when they migrate, march on these perfect longitudinal lines across the ocean floor. So they've tried really hard to disorient lobsters to try to figure out how it is that they travel putting them in tanks that are blackened, so no light, in the back of a truck, that are surrounded by magnets hanging all around the tank.
0: And then These drive poor and then
1: drive the truck around for several days and then leave them in a new location. And the lobsters are immediately, absolutely oriented to where they are. <laughs> if only we could do that as a human being. The evidence is out on this one, but it seems that they can not only Sense the magnetic fields of the earth, but the magnetic fields of the earth aren't the same everywhere. And they intersect the surface of the earth at different angles. And they think that animals can actually see magnetic fields, see, I'm putting quotes around that, sense magnetic fields and see the the angle of its intersection, and so be absolutely oriented to their position on the entire planet at all times. So what? What sense of space and what sense of self and what sense of time does an animal have? And you go, I have no idea how that experience would influence my sense of those things. So, Michael, this is your fault.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know. Uh, you start talking. You're like, "Hey, you guys, should, uh, God's will, huh?" That's a big topic. Blaine's like, "Okay, so they put the lobsters in the back of a truck." <laughs> are you not really interested right now? Well, I'm. Yeah, that that's all super fascinating. What's the uh, we pull us out at Christmas? It's um the, the the slot cars. Are we not sure that lobsters are all just slot cars and that <laughs> the world <laughs> is not the way they think it is? It could be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Screw you. Uh, so, one of the incredible things, therefore, we have to make a bit of a jump to, the, to a therefore, maybe, is to go. We have to trust other people's reports of their experience, even if we share an experience with the world. So, which we're totally not sure that we do. Yeah. But you, you know, you're in therapy land. I know that doctors, when it relates to pain, It's very subjective, and you have to try to get a person whose experience you theoretically should understand pretty well having the same
0: sensory organs.
1: You have to believe what they tell you about
0: their pain. Yeah, you remember the Scrubs episode where they talked about that? (laughs) Do you remember this? No. Oh, they have, like, in the hospitals, they've got that little, like, chart with the 0 to 10 and different, like, facial expressions, and they're like, this is so unhelpful because it depends on your background it depends on your gender so right like women have a much
1: higher pain tolerance than men yeah when because, Susie was
0: working in the hospital she'd be like the little old ladies has such a high pain tolerance and the big muscly dudes often have a very low pain tolerance um in some cultures like showing pain isn't as acceptable so in the show scrubs it was there's was like a like a white skateboarder who had like scraped his knee he was like ah i'm in so much pain and there was like a japanese dude with like a knife in his leg like this is fine i'm fine <laughs> You're know, like, oh. So the little charts and our ability to say, like, on a scale of one to ten, what are you feeling? You're gonna say maybe like a nine, but that probably isn't even true for you. You're just a nine in that moment.
1: Exactly. Even with other people, we need them to tell us about their experience exactly. before we can understand it. Right. Much more so with beings of completely distinct in higher orders of experience. So it's aggravating to people that they have to trust God to reveal himself, right? This Mm -hmm. is where we get into all this, why it's important that Jesus is the revelation of God, blah, 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 and Jesus is the word of God and what God has to say. And what people who have thought about this for a long time, they have this aha moment and they want to
0: shout from the rooftops this it's the original cause of the fall right it's not the lie it's that you don't really know god and that god is being something other than he says he is right speaking to the deep dread what if that's true mm-hmm.
1: can't that turn into like paranoia and human relationships sure. and yeah. to go yeah. if someone is like your wife talks about you negatively when you're not in the room i just thought you should know and then you bring it up with her and she goes no i don't and then Someone else is the same thing, and it begins to fracture your ability
0: to trust or... Gaslighting. Yeah, trust Uh, your own experience of the world. I think actually some of the freakiest people out there are the pathological liars that just there's something missing, genuinely, in their brain that has that sense of fear of being caught or fear of losing human connection. So it's just not there. And then you just just lie, and you're like, the sky is green. And And the heart rate, everything stays the same. You're like, oh, that kind of person would induce quite a lot of existential fear to be around.
1: Yes. I think people are frustrated by the simplicity in a theological sense of God's will. Philosophers and theologians who like this kind of thing can break out the simple solution into lots of parts,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: that's because, hopefully— in the best situation, they're nerds and they like that kind of thing. Right. Where a person who likes a painting can go, that's a beautiful painting, but they'll break it out infinitely into parts. Yeah. And hopefully it doesn't destroy their ability to love the painting. It's part of hopefully. the wonder. Yes, I now, appreciate that. The theological answer is that foreknowledge is not equivalent to predestination. Not everything happens is the will of God. How can that be? It is that way. Can't. God see all things to come? Uh, Evidently, yes. And yet God says that his creatures are still free. And to be able to understand and observe and know all things is not the same as being the ultimate micromanager. It's just that way. How do you know? Because God tells you. One of the most interesting examples of this is when David frees the city of Keilah in, I think it's still in First Samuel. He's hiding in the mountains. Saul wants to kill him. The Philistines come against this. This would be a cool movie because Keilah is called the Citadel. It's this fortress city on the edge of Israel. And the Philistines besiege it. There's this battle raging. They're going to, you know, humiliate the Inhabitants of the town who say, give us a few days to decide. In those days, they get a messenger out the back door. He goes to Saul, asks for the army, Saul refuses, and word gets to, so you have the king not doing his thing. Well, word gets to the anointed king in the mountains, the guardian of the city of God, David, that his people are under siege and he goes down. Saul, the moment he hears that David is on the move, sends out his army. It's so cool because you have to find and engage and defeat an invading army before your home team catches up to you to kill you. And everybody's against the clock here because the city is out of food. And David does it, routes the Philistines. They're having the victory party. They get word the army's almost here. And David consults with God. Will Saul come to the city? God says, yes, Saul will come to the city. Will the inhabitants of the city hand me over? Yes, they will. David leaves. And it's important for people to know. So neither of the things that God said happened. Mm. Will this happen? Yes. Will this happen? Yes. Well, neither of them did.
0: and Because, because David had the freedom to change. He had,
1: he was. He's a free creature because God says he is, and it's that way.
0: So it's more like an if-then. If you stay, then this will. Yes. But you have the choice of staying or leaving. Exactly. If you do that, yep, that would happen. What do you want to do? I think
1: I want to get out of here. It's probably a good choice if you don't want to be captured and killed. It's a very
0: cool story to really come down to that people have free will. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially, God, you know, this classic phrase of exists outside of time and therefore Yes. Also I as an aside,
1: we spent so much time wondering how that battle happened because Keela's mm, I don't think you're I don't think you're following the straight line of not it. Yeah. It's odd. I'm just gonna tell you this because it's cool. Yeah Keela's on a hill. The Philistines are staged around the city. To besiege a city, you have to have a full circle around it. Mm-hmm. So David and his people had to be coming uphill, huge disadvantage. They were not armored, huge disadvantage. They did not have horses or chariots or archers and I've sometimes looked at, you know, aerial photos of that city and just thought, how on earth, how did you do it? The story doesn't say because actually most accounts of ancient battles assume that you know how they happened. And so in any material, not just the Bible, they never tell you how it was fought. They just say, so the battle happened there. And because everyone who read it had seen battles firsthand, they went, oh, yeah, that must have been ugly. But we don't know now and no one knows. And it's
0: Mm -hmm. very cool. So, Blaine... Now that we've been talking about the will of God for 25 minutes, and actually haven't said who do you point to as being the one who's like succinctly defining God's will, C.S. Lewis is the man on this topic. Because we're uh, evangelicals, uh,
1: he's a little less evangelical than I than evangelicals like to let on.
0: I mean, he <laughs> that's so true. He went
1: to confession every week.
0: They don't have that at my church. <laughs>
1: the other thing is, how do you come to have a direct experience of God's heart for you and that it's good and that he wants good things?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you enter into collaboration with God? Because that's what he wants to do. He really does. This is Richard Foster's phrase. He wants to co-determine the future with you. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, two places. In Mere Christianity, he has a section where he talks about the will of God and says— Not everything that happens is the will of God. And I like it even more in the Screwtape letters, he's writing about prayer. So Screwtape the demon says, don't forget to use a heads I win, tails you lose approach, where if the prayer is not answered, ha, prayer doesn't work. If it is answered, a person will be able to see physical causes. And so an answered prayer can be just as good as an unanswered prayer to get a person to believe prayer doesn't matter. Mm. He then writes... People have a hard time believing that things as God sees them is things as they really are. And he takes this dive into the fact that God's ultimate will for the universe leaves room for lots of things to happen that are not his will Mm -hmm. because what he wants is people who are growing up into maturity and diving Back over to mere Christianity, the parenting example, which is so good, is to go, my ultimate will for my kids, thinking of my older daughter right now, my ultimate will for her to be able to make good choices and rule herself and manage a small kingdom means that we have paint on the floor sometimes and her room's a mess sometimes and toys get broken sometimes and I don't want any of those things. But those desires, that will is submitted to the final design, this vision of the future that I'm committed to. Mm -hmm. I thought the theological answer, like nutshelling part, would be fast, but it wasn't.
0: (laughs) Um, You know, you say that, Blaine, but I actually do think that was pretty succinct in terms of like this is a field that is very concerning for human beings and Christians because answering the question— who is god and what is he like and what are people for and what does god want he like i would say on, on like the more important side like fundamentally speaking of understanding the world and the cosmic story right yes and therefore if they're fairly important i think they could we can be quite long-winded when we want to make sure that we have fully understood something and as you pointed to there's lots of philosophers and thinkers who are concerned with this. And it makes sense. Like I'm concerned with it. We sort of go, is God good? Essentially, you alluded to this earlier of the problem of pain and the problem of evil, the free will, like all of those things. They're all actually wrapped up into this God's will conversation. So I, I say it's pretty concise when I think of like the Maslow's pyramid, but at the bottom are crustaceans. And we don't understand what it's like from their perspective, but they have their way. And then other people, and we don't understand their experience, but we have to trust their own account. And then we get up to God and we certainly can't understand his experience, his, her, their, I don't know, his experience and has to trust his not only self-explanation, but the way that he has chosen to reveal himself And go, okay, all right. So here we are. We have free will. Not everything that happens is the will of God. What his will is in a sentence is to co-determine the future with men. Uh, Yeah. I think Michael
1: in that, in his question, he did say, I don't necessarily mean like his will for my life. But that is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, but I go, but this is where this is your issue. Right. Right.
0: And so, you know, I happen to know that Michael's a super solid dude so you are your give him the benefit of the doubt well i yeah, it med- give it imagine somebody who's not a super solid dude was asking the question
1: well then it would be like i don't want people to ignore the one part of this they're responsible for and are accountable to which is what god's will for their life or their season and working that out
0: together yeah yeah, yeah. well immediately i think of um the hypothetical situation of, uh, I think I've known like enough of these people that they've sort of blurred into one like caricature, but there's the person who everything is God's will. Everything that happens is God wanted it to happen, right? It's the kind of person who, and I'm getting a little bit tired of that sentiment these days. So Maybe that's why I'm going to beat up on it, but it's like everything happens for a reason, that type of person. Because I used to say that stuff too about like, oh, I wouldn't change any of my choices because it's maybe who I am. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, but eh, eh." that actually implies that there was not a kinder way to experience maturity and a kinder way to experience growth than maybe what you walk through. And I know that's, I'm, I'm speaking out of my own story there but I generally did not believe that there was for a long time. So to the guy who goes, man, I got in a car accident and now I'm paralyzed from the waist down, but this was God's will. And, and therefore we get into these all these tangents of like, what did you do to in, incur God's wrath for you? Because if that was his will, like is he punishing you for something or is he setting you up to, to engage other disabled People in your world who you otherwise wouldn't have had a lot of overlap with. And I think we like to try and find like the lack of free will, lack of there being two opposing spiritual forces narrative that goes, oh, well, you know, if you you lost your daughter in a climbing accident, but like that really was God's will because now you are able to tell so many people about him through your grief, I would go, I don't believe that was God's will. And I think that the verse of what the enemy meant for evil, I meant for good. and, And that God has the ability to redeem all of all things. I think that's probably a more accurate reading of some of those stories. They go like, yeah, God is working in everything and has the ability to work through things and redeem things. And they go, if you experienced a tragedy, was that God's will? I don't know, I don't think so, but is it his will that you would partner with him and continue to bring light to places where there was darkness before? Absolutely. And so uh, there's this this person in my world, there's this caricature that isn't the, ah, there's this mature man who wants to know how it works out for his life. I'm like, no, 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 I'm thinking of the person who's not mature and who just assumes that every random act that happens to them is the way that it was always meant to happen to them and therefore must be God's divine will for their life. It just feels like a branch in a raging stream and this passive drifting along or this excusing almost almost on par with the way i feel negatively towards like the super religious characters in Kingdom of Heaven that sort of get to go, whatever I want, I am going to slap God's will on and do it with religious fervor and the the, the permission of the divine. And they're both, they both make me feel gross and revulsion. I don't want to be around either of these types of people. Right?
1: When I think of my own experience of this and then people close to me, I think that this must be God's will thing. I think it people want it to shelter them from the experience of violation. And my roommate, housemate, uh, just lent me a book on theology of violence that's very good and it just but it it just starts in a very calm Wendell Berry-esque voice by admitting that life is violating and we don't Mm. address that problem by ignoring it Mm -hmm. and it's like everything I mean I will be the first to admit I want to try to find ways to not feel things including my own emotions and it doesn't work so I always have to come back around to in terrible things, they're just bad. Mm. Now, I, love, I heard a lecture on this by a theologian one time, and he was making this diagram on the board, and he goes, and the best way we understand what happens next is a miracle happens, yeah. and something that was bad is transformed on every level of existence. And there was silence. There was a gasp in the room. Because I think that we knew he was right, and it was so crazy to go, this is the answer? It's no weird principle of bad things when they're viewed from eternity are actually misinterpretations, blah, blah, blah. It goes, no, actually, the biblical answer on this is pretty straightforward of bad things are bad and God hates them. And yet, God miraculously enters in, meets people there, takes the weight on himself, transforms them, and then can include mm. them into a really amazing story. The other piece that I think is important for the answer to this question is I have found it important to, and sometimes frustrating to, ask God for his vision for things a lot recently, Yeah, which I think is, is related to this issue of will. It's related to this, what's his will for my life? And what i've found as i've started doing that is that god does have a vision and he wants my input and he wants this interplay that i find to be really really frustrating mm. and cuz i don't think i i don't really want to engage him there for lots of reasons yeah but you know we just moved to this piece of land there's literally not a tree on the place this is like <laughs> ultimate diamond in the rough perhaps and The word is high
0: plains. High plains,
1: man. And I've tried to imagine with God, what's your vision for this property? And when I begin to push into that, we did the second, so I'm sitting at the table and I'm gonna draw pictures and take notes, but I'm just kind of imagining, imagining (laughs) imaginating and praying and going, Jesus, what what is your vision for this? What pictures and trying to rove around and what I find him do immediately, I can feel that he does have one, but he, he starts improvising where I'll think of the entrance and it'll be like, your will is my intention and engagement. So what about, what if we plant trees or what if we did bushes or what if we just mulched it so the grass would thrive or, and I go, oh my gosh, you have a dynamic way. Yeah. And when I begin to engage that, I get to some of the real issues in my life with God that are around like, you don't care, or I can't do it, or I'm such a failure, it won't go well. That immediately is there. And
0: these are the real, these are, I'm telling you, the real stakes of the will of God. Yeah, it's interesting. Like there's just, there's threads of this conversation that are similar to conversations we've had in the past. I'm thinking of like the open door, closed door one, but it. It's so lived out in the dailies, whether we're actively ignoring it or not, it's still there. We had a conversation a while ago. I think I think Padre was in on it because the question is like, how do you know if it's an open door or a closed door in your life? And I think we like to use that metaphor in retrospect, essentially, and be like, oh well, God was just closing some doors. And you're like, well, how do you, how did you know that? I think you just are excusing the choice that you made to be quite honest, is maybe the door felt like it was closed, but you had to force it and it was not open. Like it's just blah. I don't know. And the God's will piece too is like, when I sit with it, I go, okay, is there like an ultimate, I need to sell everything and move to Thailand as a missionary because that's God's will. Like is his will for my life that specific? And if I do anything other than that, I've missed it. You know, that idea of God has one vision for your life and one will for it and basically he's not really going to tell you what it is you have to be smart enough and and holy enough to figure it out and and make it happen and i hate that because that fills me with the sense of like uh that's not really relationship that's performance and i don't know like i have to become some kind of psychic prophet holy man in order to be in that relationship and then there's like if i think that i swing to well therefore i i don't care at all what his will is and i'm just going to live my life and have other people kind of pull on those strings in sort of an abusive way of well are you essentially living by the 10 commandments or are you are you following god's will for for man in broad strokes and you're like well nope i think not and i think why is because we, we created those rules. There's rules or there is relationship. And so we can try and follow rules because you've shunned relationship because relationship was never there in the first place. Now I can see this goes down all these rabbit hole trails to where I am now of like, okay, here's for me. I look at Jesus as the most knowable aspect of God because God became man and experienced our suffering, experienced more than my share of suffering experience, all of ours, knew what it was like to eat, to weep, to feel thirst, to feel heat stroke, to walk more miles than I do. And I go, oh, okay, God in that form, I can understand, I can relate to. And he said his mission was to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and walked out his life with that same sense of, that you were alluding to earlier, that dynamic can change the plan based off other people's requests. It has this this odd ebb and flow of engaging and retreating. And I go, okay, like that's like a great mantra for anybody wanting to be a therapist. And it's come up several times already. Like what's your, what's your will, God, in this arena? Well, it's to heal. It's to reclaim freedom. It's to invite into relationship and it's to be dynamic and wholehearted. And you're like, oh, great. Okay, well, that actually has... Such a broad field of play now, and the ways that that can be walked out while I'm walking in what the will of God is for mankind. And I'm not missing that very specific, oh, I was supposed to buy this house, not the one I actually did, or oh, I was supposed to become a lawyer, and instead now I'm a therapist, or any number of those like ultra, ultra, ultra specific wills. If it's a broader will, then it allows for relationship. It allows for it to feel I have a role to play. If I don't, then why did he make me so weird? Why didn't he make us all just like little robots that all have the same preference? Why are we all so different from each other? Why do I like one thing over something else? Why do I love spicy food? Well, because my naturopath tells me I'm riddled with parasites and my body's trying to cleanse itself. But, you know, that's an aside. I I do think that when it gets to that level... To Michael's question, I'm not really having, to be honest, I mean, that's not surprising to anybody, but that's conversation of like, hand-wringing what's God's will, because what I've come to several years ago is the understanding I just laid out for you of like, this is what God is like, this is what God's mission is, and therefore that's his will, his relationship and healing, and we're working towards a point in time when Satan will ultimately be cast down and yet, in the meantime, it is not easy to bring healing. It's not easy to bring wholeheartedness because that's not the baseline. The baseline it seems to be entropy and more of it. So I'm like, great. How are you going to walk that out? Are you going to walk that out as a therapist? Are you going to walk that out as in your farm, on a field? Because I think creation matters. Are you going to be an artist? Are you going to be a businessman? Are you going to focus on your family? Are you going to focus on those around you, your community? Like that, that just has the breadth to it that makes it feel stable and inviting and relaxing. And if that's the fruit, I'm great with it.